I have to start saying this unapologetically because it's so crucial to the model and to impacting more families. They are paying at rates that are affordable and is not charitable. And I say that unapologetically, that it's not charitable because if all the rates are completely subsidized and are charitable, then what happens is nobody is going to want to scale it. Hello and welcome everyone. The Good Work Podcast is an exploration of the men and women shaping ag land investments. Agriculture is made up of some of the best people doing some of the best work in the world. Wendell Berry refers to this as humble, faithful, and skillful people and work that connects us to and honors the gifts we receive from land and life. All right, Brett Hagler is CEO of New Story, an organization he co-founded with a mission to pioneer solutions to solve global homelessness. New Story has a nine-year history of being focused on this mission with some of the most innovative solutions. We're incredibly excited and interested in their recent innovation. If you love property rights, market-based solutions, and human flourishing, you're going to be as excited as we are. Now, everyone knows this podcast interviews the humble, skillful, and faithful leaders who are shaping the present and future of land. And Brett fits that description in spades. He's at his core, an entrepreneur, pioneer, innovator who leads a team at New Story that is uniquely positioned to solve this massive problem, which is an incredible but true statement. But as, a, as impressive as Brett is and all that he has and will continue to accomplish, getting to know him over the years, I'm most impressed and encouraged by who he's becoming. Brett, welcome to the Good Work Podcast. It's so great to be on with y'all. Um, thanks for for starting this podcast. I think you're going to um, be really helpful and insightful for a lot of people. So thank you. Thanks, Brett. Uh, there's really so much that we could cover. Um, you know, the whole arc of New Story and your and your story is fascinating. And I encourage anyone listening to this to check out uh, Chris Powers' podcast or uh, Brent B. Short's podcast, where dive into that. And we, we do want to dive into your story, Brett. But our podcast is about land, and so I want to spend a majority of our time on your land development strategy. Essentially, you have a plan to make land ownership more accessible for vulnerable communities, which is just, it's awesome. It's fascinating. But we do got to set the stage. Um, And so to get our audience up to speed on your story, I thought it'd be good to take us back to 2015. And the context is new story and Brett and his co-founders were... I believe one of the only nonprofits to be selected to Y Combinator. So what the heck did you say in your 10 minute interview that got you selected in in Y Combinator? Uh, I I don't know. I think it was um, a a combination of luck and being um, insanely prepared. We uh, there's this kind of this program called Y Combinator for those who don't know. It's uh, kind of a pretty prestigious or I guess the most prestigious um, startup incubator in the world and uh they're infamous for having a a 10 minute interview only so they fly in startups literally from all around the world founders from all different continents and they only interview for for 10 minutes and so to answer your question trevor what did we say maybe a little less of what we said i mean we had uh we're really thoughtful but um it was more about how much we prepared so we still have this slogan today um is that we prepared over 100 hours for 10 minutes and uh, that is just kind of in our DNA of when when you know you've got a big opportunity that comes along to just put in your best effort and then uh, you know see see the where chips fall. So we were fortunate to get in and became um, one of the first nonprofits to go through uh, this program. And um, the best part about it was that uh, they didn't treat us any differently than any of the other companies that uh, have gone through Y Combinator companies such as. Uh, Airbnb, Coinbase, DoorDash, Stripe. Uh, I mean, there's there's a long list now of um, they've they've produced over 100 uh, billion dollar companies, and so we got to go through that program in the very beginning, uh, which is very formative for New Story and how we think about um, you know creating product and solutions and innovation and and, and the like. So. Um, anyways, that's a little bit about uh, how how we got started, and that was after a trip that uh, I took to Haiti. Um, I went to Haiti uh, a couple years out of college. Didn't grow up thinking that I'd be interested at all in international development, uh, but I um, 
personally made a, a really big life change a couple years out of college, uh, became a Christian and made a total 180 in my values and uh, what I wanted to uh, to try to do. And so I think what happened is I just was able to think about using my ambition and some of my skills for uh, to try to help others. And that was that was originally how New Story got started. And we were, in hindsight, pretty young. We were 24 and 25-year-old kids that were full of optimism, um, full of excitement, uh, but didn't know that much yet about, about the problem. But we fortunately didn't let that stop us, and we just got started. And that was almost 10 years ago. So we've learned a lot along the way. Um, one of the main things that we'll talk about now is or on this podcast is that while designing houses uh, and using technology to build houses is exciting and sexy, uh, what we found is it's even more thoughtful and scalable um, to design land first um, and then have housing come after that. So, so we'll talk all about that on this pod, but um, that's a little bit of the background. And I don't know if you want to dive in more about the background or, or just get started with kind of where we are now. Well, I guess, I guess on that topic, just, talking about identifying the problem, which I imagine kind of motivates the why behind um, what you guys do every day and, and what you're trying to accomplish. So can you give us, um, can you give us kind of a, a sense of, and I'm assuming, like you said, some of this was motivated by your, your trip to Haiti, um, which is a, which, which is, you know, I, I would imagine it's unique in every country, you know, um, I'm sure there are common elements, but problem is, you know, has some unique elements in every country, but can you give us a sense of just this, the scope size scale of the, the problem of global homelessness and kind of what, uh, um, you know, initially struck you? Yes. So, uh, the problem today would be around 1.6 billion humans that live in inadequate housing. And so when we say inadequate housing, that doesn't necessarily mean that somebody's um, experiencing homelessness on the side of the street, uh, but they are usually a family that we work with that is living in a very, very, very maybe small one bedroom um, kind of piece together their home that has dirt floor. There's a whole list of, you know, these um, uh, unlivable components that would categorize it as inadequate. And so there's today 1.6 billion people. Uh, unfortunately, that number is forecasted to grow quite significantly. And so when you kind of zoom out and do some math on that, uh, we would say that maybe aside from climate change, this is uh, definitely one of the largest and most expensive problems um, literally in the world, if you just do math on it. And so that can be uh, quite overwhelming and a little paralyzing. But um, you know how we got started was... We kind of just, and this is a lot of the, what's similar today is our our mission and a lot of the DNA and how we think at New Story hasn't really changed. But every year, it's been almost 10 years now, we've learned more about more of the underlying root causes of the problem. And it feels like we've kind of got smarter or more thoughtful year after year. So for example, we started by saying, we want to raise a bunch of philanthropy and we want to build a uh, almost a 500 home town uh, and that would you know have roads and and schools and that was a church and it was amazing it was awesome um, but how that was funded was was entirely through philanthropy um, and we kind of went down different roads of using technology to uh, to build homes which is we still do and that's exciting um, things such as 3D printing houses with our partner Icon or different uh, other architectural um, concepts to lower the cost of the house. But we ultimately realized that philanthropy alone, um, there's just not, there's nowhere near enough, meaning like there's 0.0001% or less than that of philanthropy um, that could, that that's, that's needed to actually put a dent in the problem. And so Years ago, we kind of evolved our model to be to move away from what we call used to call uh, charity base, which is very simple. It would be anybody that's listening to this podcast, you give money, and we figure out how to build beautiful, amazing, uh, long-lasting homes with that with that money. But the capital we're using is philanthropy. 
So we evolved to what we call market-based, um, which is the idea that that family now, instead of being dependent on uh, charitable aid or government subsidies, they actually have a real path to become customers and purchase um, lands and then access housing finance at rates that they can actually afford. Um, and then so the path to scale then becomes uh, just capital markets, which everybody listening to is probably how you run your businesses, um, you know, lending, investment, um, and just becoming customers to get their life-changing uh, land and, and home that they dream of. So we'll talk a lot about that. But um, so our heart is still for the same mission, but the how and maybe more of the head of what we do, we've just learned now over years and we're kind of all in on the the market-based um, strategy that that new story has evolved to. Real quick, just if you could give us some insight on why only international? What is that? Is that driven by that's where you can find the best um, banking and, and land partnerships or what, um, or did you start out in the U S and then expand or, or, and, and find more success or what, what, what's the, what's the focus on international versus U S very important question, Morgan. I'll answer it in two ways. Um, first is just, this is how we got started. This is where I felt, um, from my perspective as a, as a, um, a kind of a faith driven entrepreneur, this is where I was called, um, and so we got started in Haiti and then expanded to Central America and now primarily work in Mexico. And so it's just like, that's how we got started. That was the market and the problem. Um, and then, and then also the, the, the product or the solutions that we were designing for looks very different internationally than in the U S. So that was just how we got started and what we wanted to, to focus on. Um, we set a goal to partner with 1 million people in Latin America by the end of 2030. And so we've tried to just be really focused on that. And, um, and then after that, you know, we'll, we'll probably think more about the US. Um, and the second reason is a little bit what you alluded to, you just the, the, the amount of impact that you can have and the reach um, is just a totally different calculus international. So I'll give you an example. Um, and we'll talk probably more about this. But new story right now is, um, is raising an impact investment fund. And just give you some numbers. So with only $25 million invested uh, over five years with some recycling, that $25 million can reach 30,000 lots or households, which turns into about 120,000 people. Um, and that's with investment. And so you start doing the math and think about how, how much more reach you can get. Um, it's, it's a different calculus. And so it's not to say that numbers should be the only reason um, to work internationally because obviously not everything is about about numbers or scale or metrics um, but that is something that that we've just seen as a great opportunity uh, to help more underserved um, families have life-changing land and home ownership sure and and obviously there are uh, far-reaching impacts even even within the the United States um, for creating homes and safe environments for people in their home country and, and especially Central America and places that historically, um, you know, seek, seek shelter in, in the U S um, going, going there and creating a, a safe um, space for, for families is a huge, um, a huge gift for sure. That's right. Yeah. We see it as a, um, one of the biggest mismatches of, basic supply and demand, the, the amount of demand of a family with young kids that just, just dream of having a basic, basic, basic home, um, a piece of land that they can actually trust is theirs for generational. Um, that demand is, is tens and tens and tens of millions of families. And, you know, unfortunately there's, there's nowhere near enough supply of affordable um, lots and housing. And that's, you know, both are our opportunity. Um, and that's, yeah, that's what we're working on. That's awesome. Brett, I want to come back to the, your pivot from uh, philanthropic to market-based um, endeavor. Cause I think this is fascinating. What, 
how did the structure of that work? Did your donors essentially become investors in the in a fund, or did you go out to uh, raise new capital, or how did you um, have y'all pulled off that transition? Yeah, it's um, it definitely has been a challenge. Um, so won't undersell that. Um, it's been it's been a difficult transition. I've I've kind of said internally, it's it's been like a, a metamorphosis for the organization. Um, and we're thankfully on the other side of that now. But we have gone through a pretty difficult 24 months as we've tried to completely evolve. Um, and in that, we had to we had to make hard staff changes. We had to rethink about who are who are the types of you know skill sets that we need. Um, communicating things externally uh, was also a challenge as we were evolving. Uh, we had a, a certain donor base that had been giving um, very generously for for years, and um, and now this is a a very a very different uh, approach and pitch. Um, thankfully, a lot of majority of people have understood it and and see uh how much better the the actual model is for our mission so people have kind of slowly come around to it um then the other part of your your question mac is uh, no impact investors or investors is a is a is a different um type of uh, i'd say you know customer base or, or folks that we want to partner with and and have partnered with and so that's just a different approach a different angle and we treat um we treat that investor base uh, in the same way that any investment firm would. So the same quality of um, you know materials, expectations, um, standard of excellence that we're pursuing is is the same as a uh, an impact investment firm, and that's really what we've become. Um, but it's taken time to to evolve. Okay, so as you know, Brett, this is incredibly exciting to to me. It's become exciting to us. It's um obviously a massive problem. And then there's a scalable market-based solution to help inadequately house families have these generational changing assets like land and, and a home. Uh, I think it's always helpful just to dive into down to the ground level, a specific case study. And I wonder if, if Jalisco, Mexico, and how you're executing on that strategy is a good... That's am I my saying most that right? favorite pronunciation I've ever hold heard. On, hold on, hold on. What's the proper pronunciation? <laughs> Jalisco, Mexico. Jalisco? Jalisco. Did I say that Trevor right? just lost his Texas card. I, w- I would imagine it probably is a... Uh, not a J sound. It's a... Jalisco. Huh. Jalisco. Jalisco. Is, that, is that better? That's right. That's Cor- right. Correct us, Brett, and then but share this uh, the story of what you're doing there. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So I'll give you a um, first a case study, and then I will I will start to unpack some of the the reasoning and kind of the first principles approach that we're taking. So um, then we did a case study over the last two years where we went in partnered with a land developer in a municipality. We bought land for uh, about a thousand lots. So that'll be about a thousand households that that are moving there, and um, and our scheme is that when we buy land and we start developing it as well, so there's basic infrastructure. Before we buy the land, we know that there is basically a customer wait list of demand from families that want to pay and purchase their lot before housing comes into the picture. So we buy land. And on average, it takes a family about 24 months to make monthly payments that's that's going to the cost of the lot and then also the infrastructure that's being installed, which is really critical because a land lot without infrastructure is a, is a totally different asset. But a land lot that includes electricity, sewage, plain water, roads, et cetera, is a totally different asset, right? It has way more value. And so a family will start making monthly payments right after we purchase the land. And it takes them about 24 months on average to to pay for that lot um, plus interest, which is how is how impact investors get money back and there's a spread. Um, and for about a thousand households for a thousand lots, that whole portfolio of monthly payments had a 100% payment rate. And someone might say that seems too good to be true. Here's the reason why. 
is we we did have a backdrop a back a back um some some families that dropped out it was only about 5% of families but we have a wait list of other families that have been saving and as soon as the family drops out of that payment program we immediately fill them with a new family that's been on the wait list and so the the scheme is actually very, very, very low risk, um, as counterintuitive as that might be for someone listening to think international development, lower income families, I get it. But the scheme is is just matching supply and demand and, um, and making the most of, of that mismatch where there's just way, way, way more demand than the amount of affordable lots. And so um, the main thing is just making sure that an underserved demographic uh, can actually pay for this product, which the product we're talking about is a land lot with infrastructure, um, pay at a rate that this is really important. Um, that is not, and I and I have to I have to start saying this unapologetically because it's so crucial to the model and to impacting more families. They are paying at rates that are affordable and is not charitable. And I say that unapologetically, that it's not charitable because if all the rates are completely subsidized and are charitable, then what happens is nobody is going to want to scale it. No other lender or land developer is going to want to scale that model if they don't have incentive to actually have fairly profitable rates for the work that they're doing. And so is this intersection of, you know, for us and our mission, most importantly, what is affordable and fair to that family, that customer that's buying the lot with infrastructure and what is uh, fair and profitable to, to, the, to the businesses that are involved, which is usually a land developer, uh, an investor and, and a lender. And so, um, yeah, that's, that was what happened. And that's what we've, really launched this impact investment fund to um, to scale up. And the thing that, you know, for New Story, when you think about housing, um, that is our end goal. But what we've learned is that the ultimate way to reach more families is through, in our belief, affordable home financing, meaning that a family, just like most of us experience in the US, we're not going to purchase a house up front with cash and we're not going to be dependent on a charity to come give us a free house, right? Most of us are going to get um, uh, some type of loan, or maybe we even build our house over time, but that still probably comes with some type of loan. So our goal is how do we help more families have the collateralization and the credit profile so that they can get access to affordable home financing? And last thing I'll say, um, you can kind of think of the what it's like the counterfactual for a family not having collateral or credit profile. And so I'll explain that real quick. And this is really the the, the scale of the problem um, is that you have a family, let's say um, a, a father and a mother and two young kids, and they live on a piece of land that no one can trust. Do they actually have legal title to this land? Is there property rights? So you can't trust the land that they're on. And they also don't really have a credit, uh, a, yeah, a worthy credit profile um, that's been paying for land or been paying for an asset that's maybe at a, a larger value than some small micro loans that they may have paid for. And so if you put yourself in the shoes of an underwriter that is going to try to underwrite that property and that family to get a home loan, which is the largest loan most likely this family is ever going to ask for. You just can't underwrite it in a way where you can justify an affordable interest rate. And so what happens is that that family doesn't get a loan or they would be, they would, their opportunity to get a loan would be at, I'm not exaggerating, would be at like a 50, 60% interest rate because how do you underwrite it if there is no real collateral and there's no real credit profile? So new story comes in and we solve that problem. We help collateralize families with what they need to then unlock the housing finance that's actually affordable. And that's why land development and town development is so critical um, because it's it's the first principles approach and the first step to then getting 
the the home loan, which at that point is the easier part. And actually building the house from our perspective is even the easier part. What does that mean? Collateralize a family? What do you mean by that? So, okay. So if a, okay. So think about Morgan, I'll, I'll just say this from your perspective, right? So if you were living on land and you didn't own that land and nobody knew who owned that land. So you didn't have land title, right? There, and you wanted to just try to go get a loan. The lender has has no collateral, right? They're usually going to use at least land with infrastructure as a valuable asset that if you leave or you stop paying, they would be able to say, oh, okay, this is something that someone else can come, another customer can come, or um, you know, we can we can take over this land if the person you know stops paying. And so if you don't have collateral, then you're not going to be able to get affordable home financing. Um, but if we're able to help a family have the collateral, which which specifically means they now own a, a lot that has trusted legal title, land title, and that lot is in a good location surrounded by other lots that also has infrastructure installed, then it's a totally different game because that's a valuable asset that that family owns and can be used as collateral to unlock the next the next stage, which is home financing. This is this is awesome, and you've obviously said a lot, and I'd, I'd love just to to park here because I think um, uh, if we, we have so many questions, and I, I know our audience does, just the, love love this model. Essentially, you're trying to create the first principle approach that works not just for one project, but then would scale at, at a yeah, scale scale globally to um, solve for the problem that you mentioned before, which is massive. All right, so then the, the, one of the key parts of this, and I'd love to try to get specific here. You, you said that the profit margin has to be affordable and dignifying to families, but then it can't be too charitable um, so that, you know, the uh, one, there's this sense of ownership on the, the, the uh, side of the buyer, and then there's a return that is scalable on the investor side. How, I mean, how, how do you find that line? How did you find that line? Is that a moving target? How, how are you discovering essentially that that market? Would love to hear specifics around that because then that unlocks so much once you, once you find that. Yeah, it's probably in a very similar way that anybody listening is, you know, trying to do price discovery. Um, you know, there's always a pretty standard, I'd say market rate that, um, you know, you, you would have, whether it's other competitors or other people in your space, that would be, that would be charging. And so what we try to do is, um, realistically be a little on the lower end of, of the market rate. Um, we certainly don't want to be on the higher end and, um, and we're trying to get it probably a little on the lower end because this is a, for, for our work, it's, it's a high volume, you know, type of, type of project where, um, some other developers or lenders, they may be lending to, you know, just maybe a few higher income, um, housing or, or projects. Uh, ours is more of a, a scale, you know, type of, type of business model and high volume model. And so, so yeah, we, we look at what is, what are the kind of market rates in the area? Um, make sure that, uh, a family, again, as, as I was mentioning, um, the only way a fair market rate works is if the if, if that customer, that family is actually building the collateral that's going to have real value. Because um, without that, it's just you have to underwrite to something. And that's what really helps us um, get those get those market rates. Um, and then, yeah, from an impact investor perspective, um, you know, wait, well, I won't talk about all the all the returns and the rates right now, but um, we, you know, we're fortunate to have a model that is definitely on the higher end of maybe what be, would be expected for impact investors. Um, and the way that we've been able to do that is, I think, just by having a very simple model that um, is really just you know, taking monthly cash flow, being able to recycle it, and then uh, also having it be um, really low risk and de-risk because of um, one, just land, as you guys know. Um, and I think I've heard um, Trevor, you and Mac talk about how 
um, one of the value propositions of, of, of land investment is that it's, it's a lower risk investment. And so we view it the same way. Um, the asset itself, land, um, we're buying good lands in great locations that, um, you know, for our population that we'll always appreciate. And then uh, we also have this, this scheme where there's just way, there's just way more demand um, for families that want the lots. And so we have a, a wait list um, that really helps with fill in those monthly cash flows if anything um, happens to, uh, uh, to, to, you know, to, to change. So um, that's a little bit of how we think about it. I'm, I'm happy to go into more details um, from, from whatever perspective that you want. Do you have, I guess I'm, I keep thinking about, um, you know, I know we're supposed to focus on land. I, I, I want a separate podcast just about the people. I want to know the people story, but, um, but so I just keep thinking about these families and like, you know, envisioning, imagining. So, um, first of all would be, um, I'm just curious, <clears throat> this might not, this not, might not make the cut for the podcast, but I'm just curious, like, are most of these families in, in Latin America, in central Mexico, are they, do, do both the parents work? Do both the parents have jobs? Um, that's my first question. Yeah. They uh, well, have and, and hold on, uh, real quick. The other question, cause I think you can answer these at the same time is, um, how does your team and is it your team or is it partners locally, like find these people? Where's the funnel of, you know, these like amazing families who just need, um, you know, need an opportunity and, you know, all that, like how, how do the, how do these people come to you? And, um, you know, how do you, how do you make those decisions, I guess? Yep. So great questions. Um, very important questions. So, uh, from the first, the first question about income, yes, uh, families are working. They're hardworking families. They just the income, you know, falls into the the lower quartile, um, and this is this is what happens globally. Um, you have a, a gentleman we just met. I just met in person. Um, he's part time uh, farmer, part time taxi driver, um, and their income is is on the lower end. Um, and, but they have income, um, and they, they work very hard. Uh, they make the most of opportunities. Um, there's just such a different dynamic when it comes to the amount of affordable supply that they actually have available. And then one thing I'll say about land, um, that is a little different than what maybe folks listening in the U S understand or have been, have been brought up with. I know I certainly felt this way. Um, like throughout the world, it is so rare and scarce for any middle or lower income family to have a piece of land that they own that is trusted and that is recognized as, as their property rights legally. That is very rare and extremely valuable. And so families understand this and they know that They've heard stories of, you know, throughout whether it's happened to them or people that they know of, you know, land being taken from them, um, them not being able to get any type of home financing because the land they're on, they can't, nobody can really vouch. There's no legal system that that says that this exact piece of land is theirs, that is 100% trusted. And so, um, you know, land is really, from our standpoint, with land, right, land, land title with property rights that is backed by the municipality, which is very important for our model and our legal team is to make sure that everything works legally um, is so valuable. And that is actually what unlocks all of the lending and the capital for whether it's a new building being built, whether it's a new town being built, a new home being built. I mean, new story is essentially building towns now because a lot of these lots will be in the thousands of lots. And so we're, we're, we're building towns. And if you don't have those property rights and legal land titles locked in legally, um, you're never going to get capital unlocked. And so all to say, from a family's perspective, they know how rare and scarce having their own land that can be generational for them, that they don't have to worry about anybody taking it or if that it's actually theirs. Um, is so life-changing um, and so valuable. So that'd be the first thing. And then um, in your second question, um, sorry, Morgan, I forgot what you're saying. Oh, question. like how do you, yeah, how oh, do yes. you find these, oh, how yes. do you find the families? Yeah, yeah. So um, there's a couple ways and I'll, I'll keep it brief. Um, 
you know, one is just is, and obviously we're going to locations where we know there's, you know, land that's close to work and jobs and transportation, all the things. So that's a huge piece of it. So just consider that we're choosing good locations. Um, from there, we we then just do we do a, a variety of outreach. So everything from basic marketing, um, which would be whether it's local billboards or um, stuff on Facebook or Facebook groups, um, which is really huge. Uh, almost everybody has a smartphone, so able to communicate with smartphones and WhatsApp. Um, and then these are these are also like, I'd say like like medium to smaller size towns. So they're not they're not these huge dense cities that we work in. Um, so we also do a lot with the municipalities, and uh, they help promote the project as well. Um, and then we also do some digital uh, advertising or marketing as well um, to to certain to certain families, and uh, ha- also have just some kind of on the ground marketing efforts. So that's all kind of priced into our cost. But what I will say is that um, word travels fast. Word of mouth is is the number one way it spreads um, because this is this is such a rare product that's being offered that sometimes it almost feels too good to be true. And that's how we're able to build this this wait list um, of families. Is it is it kind of a first come first serve type of thing, or, or? yeah, 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 kind of. Um, it's you know we have only have a certain amount of lots that we're buying at one point, and then um, families have to fit into a certain. Um, they have to you know we're not serving anybody and everybody. So they need to have a certain income level. They need to be able to show that they they can make monthly payments. Um, and then families are also you know coming from inadequate housing. Um, we also we don't have um, another thing I'll say that also I just have to be kind of unapologetic about um, is that we don't want every single person in that town to be the same income level. So we do have what we call mixed income. Um, we believe that is actually most impactful uh, and and will create the most flourishing for that for that area. And so, you know, nobody at a higher income is moving in to these towns, but we do have a range of from like very low income to low income to getting closer to like middle middle class. That's that's a smaller percentage, a very a much smaller percentage. But we'd like to try to have a mix and a variety. Um, of income because there's tons of data studies that show that's actually the you know the, ideally the best thing for um, for lower income families. Yeah, I've been reading a um, a book that took place in like Reconstruction era uh, U.S. and um, and so I was I was I read a book an you know a fiction book and then I started Googling all these things and stories and whatever. But um, when you're talking, it's making me think about kind of the like post-Civil War reconstruction era of the U.S. where the the biggest thing for um, for those families like coming out of enslavement was um, was land and land rights. And even I mean, we we run into that even in modern day Dallas, Texas, where there are like landlord type of people who try to take advantage of um you know, lower income people and give them, give them, you know, some sort of idea that they're going to own something um, when they don't legally own it, you know? So like this, this problem has gone, you know, it's modern day and going back to, um, you know, a a lot of, a lot of uh, deeply entrenched kind of legal, legal issues, whether it's, you know, around um, race or, or income or whatever in the United States. And, um, and, you know, I think there's still some states where land rights are, um, are, you know, can, can have some questionable impacts on people. And so, um, how do you, how do you kind of become a expert, um, in, in the markets where you are on how that works? I mean, do you partner with le- local legal teams or? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I should have prefaced this earlier. Um, you know, I live in the U S but the majority of our team is, Based in Mexico City and and throughout Mexico, um, so yeah, we have we have legal team uh, like general counsel um, legal team that's based in in Mexico. Um, we have a team that works entirely with the municipalities, which is really important for our model. Is that um, they're bought into the program and that and the property rights 
um, align with with their system. Um, so it's very, very, very important. And the model doesn't work if you don't have a, a trusted rule of law and the trusted legal um, legal land titles. And so what we're able to do is come alongside and partner with underserved families that just the reality is that they're just not really getting this. It's very rare to get this type of access or service or help um, that is there to ensure that this land lot that they pay for and that they've that they've earned, um, that they are going to be able to unequivocally have this piece of land for the rest of their life if they want, or if they want to sell it later on as, as it appreciates and their net worth increases, they get to have that choice. And so um, I'm really proud of our team and um, being able to, to focus on the, on the legality of it all, because that is absolutely critical. And that's something that we'll continue to um, invest more in. Brett, I want to go back to something you touched on briefly, but um, well, in a two-part question, one, one just on design, talk about like the, the design elements that you look to incorporate into the communities. And then also just like how, I mean, you were, kind of going in this direction with your boots on the ground team in Mexico city, but how you source, uh, the, these prospective communities and what, what makes them attractive, maybe from, uh, just the raw land perspective or, or upside through design elements. Yeah. Great question, Mac. I'll answer your first, your first one. I mean, second one first. So, uh, really important part of the model is partnering with local land developers, so we we work with land and, and real estate developers. Um, we have you know kind of a, a playbook, more or less, if you want to describe it as that. And uh, and they're the ones that have been in the area for 10 and 20 years, and they're able to really help um, scout and identify the, the best locations. Um, we're obviously signing off on that at the end. We have a whole diligence process, et cetera, just like y'all do. But yeah, really relying on local expertise um, from, from those type of uh, development partners. Um, and then the other part of the question, which is most important, as I've, as I've reflected more and more, uh, I think what we're really doing with this strategy and, and this fund is we're starting up towns. Uh, that's kind of the highest way I can describe it because, um, you know, land development and land lots, it's, it's bigger than that. Um, we're actually creating master plans of, of a new town. And so for us, the economies of scale work better. Um, as y'all know, is if we're buying a piece of land and then, you know, subdividing that land into different lots. And so that is, that is what we're doing. And many of the, um, the land that we'll be purchasing and developing um, will be at least a thousand lots each. And so for us, we kind of times uh, one lot or household by four. That's the average. So kind of on average, we're going to have at least 4,000 people um, living in living in these towns we're developing. And so it's absolutely critical to have a, a thoughtful um a communal plan that, for example, some of the ones I was just at in person include soccer fields, um, multiple parks. Uh, there's actually a, a high school going into a small high school going into one of the the projects. Um, churches are really important. Um, New Story is not a faith based organization. Um, I am, but uh, we're not a faith based organization. However, you know, just families' desire and demand for something like that in the community is high. And so that could be a component that we add. Um, and what's really important is for New Story to develop relationships with the, the, the incoming residents that are paying for their lot. And we have a almost a 24-month period where families are making monthly payments that New Story can engage and learn and, and, and hear from families, what do they really want in the community? Um, and that helps finalize the master plan that will, um, yeah, have things that I think are pretty standard would be soccer fields, um, parks, uh, you, you obviously have roads. Um, sometimes there's an opportunity for a school, maybe a church. Uh, it just depends on, on the environment. And then the last thing I'd say is that none of this works. None of this works if the land is not in a location that has access for the families to um, to get to work or transportation um, or other things around it. 
there have been many, many, many failed experiments throughout the development world of people trying to buy land because they got it at a super low price in an area where nothing's around it. And it turns out that a family would rather leave that area and move back into an inadequate home because they're surrounded by um, a more th- a different community, um, work, et cetera. And so those things are, are critical um, is the, the proximity to, um, to, to work and to community um, and to other components such as a school, a church, et cetera. You're basically um, like grownups uh, from the 80s and 90s that, that played SimCity, you know, and now you're just, <laughs> well, you're creating, I don't know. You're, 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 you're doing that in real life. You're creating a, I'll take, you're creating towns. I guess I'll take that. Somebody said the other day, um, it's kind of like a discovery properties, but a totally different demographic. It's like, yes, it is a totally different demographic, <laughs> but, um, but yeah, it's, it, it's amazing to have. Uh, a wait list of families that that dream of owning their land because they know that's that's the first thing that unlocks everything else. Well, Brett, uh, to kind of close us out, I'd love to give give us a vision of um, where you're going from here. I, I, I think I understand this year you're planning to purchase and develop about 5,000 lots uh, if you're using an average uh, land purchase is about a thousand lots. It might be five different sites, but yeah, give us a sense of maybe your immediate focus. And then, um, you're, you're a big dreamer and I'd, I'd love to hear the, the, the 10 year, like, what does this look like, um, down, down the road? Yeah. So I'll start with the, I'll start with the really short term. Um, we are kind of just right now, as we're talking, um, going to market with a impact investment fund that is essentially used to, um, acquire land, but also to develop to develop land. And so that initial fund will start us off buying um, actually closer to 10,000 lots. And then uh, after, because we're able to recycle that, because we have about a five-year period um, on, on the fund, we can recycle that a couple of times. Uh, so that 10,000 lots will actually turn into close to 30,000 lots, which will be about 120,000 people just off, just off this, this, this fund. Um, so that's what kind of the next, um, the next, uh, you know, couple of years looks like. Um, and then, you know, long-term we genuinely see a path to, uh, this may sound like a big number, but we think there's a path to get to a million lots, um, over spread out through a few countries. Um, there's the demands there. Um, the we believe very much the affordability is there. Um, the land is certainly there to be able to acquire and develop. Um, and so there'll be challenges that come with with that type of scale. But uh, but yeah, we think we could we could get to a million lots um, by 2030, and that would be about about four million people that would have um, life changing, generational changing land. Um, and the last thing I'll say is that. The problem globally is so big that obviously news story can't buy as one organization make a big enough dent in it. And so our hope is that um, over the next few years, as we really develop this out, um, get more traction, get more proof points that this model um, can truly serve as an example. And, you know, we can accompany that with a playbook that other developers, other entrepreneurs, um, other lenders Will want to get into because they'll see this is a 10 out of 10 on the impact scale and it's lower risk and it has a a, a very solid good return um that's sustainable and so that's the vision um you asked me a couple years ago i didn't think i'd be so excited and be talking so much about land um, but what we've learned is it's truly the the first step the first principled approach um that if a family can purchase land, own it, um, have legal title with infrastructure installed, then that's that's what unlocks the housing finance. And the best part is that New Story doesn't have to provide the housing finance. Um, we can just help connect families to local banks or lenders um, because we know that they're 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 a qualified customer. They've they've done the work to to pay for the land and it's a it's a valuable asset that they own. So yeah, that's a little bit of of the vision and um, excited to, to learn alongside y'all um, and, and, and um, 
you know, learn more from you. I love it, Brett. Uh, you can see why we're so excited about uh, Brett and Brett's vision and new stories uh, vision. I mean, there's nothing new under the sun and kind of a, a quality of opportunity around. Pro- <laughs> I mean, because property rights has created uh, flourishing for the developed world for uh, centuries. And it, it's a model that's already proven. You're, you're just you're creating more opportunity for the developed world. And so it's a it, it's a proven model, which is which is awesome. And you're finding a way to bring it to. Uh, those who who haven't had that opportunity yet, so we, we love it. We, we're uh, big supporters of, of you and, and New Story. Um, we'll of course uh, post uh, your website and um, any other relevant information to the show notes. Um, but we we do want to kind of end the interview with a question that we ask every one of our guests, and uh, it'd be a fun one to hear your answer to. But what is your definition of good work? I'd say the the intersection of what you're genuinely passionate about and has meaning and purpose um, for who's on the other side of, of that passion. That's awesome, Brett. Brett Hagler, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. This episode is brought to you by McFarland Capital Partners. At McFarland Capital Partners, our mission is to cultivate people and property with passion and purpose. McFarland Capital Partners has a 30-plus year history as a private equity sponsor in real estate. Our current investment focus is on ag land investments in farmland, vineyards, and ranch land. We love ag land as an asset class and are blessed to partner with some of the most talented operators in the sector. We're actively investing in ag land investments between 5 and $40 million And I don't mind saying we have an excellent team executing and stewarding at the highest level. You can see and learn all about this and more at mcfarlane.com. Trevor Hightower, Mac McFarland, and Morgan Stallings are partners and principals at McFarland Capital Partners. All opinions expressed by Trevor, Mac, Morgan, and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinions of McFarland Capital Partners. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon as a basis for investment decisions.